Well, good morning again. How are we doing? Are you all jacked up on donuts? Man, there's still a bunch out there, too. Somebody's going to get a good lunch after this service is over with. Oh, man. Let's just pray right now for donuts to be healthy in the name of Jesus. Amen. If they were, can you imagine if donuts were healthy? I digress, but really, sincerely, I mean, I would eat donuts all the time. Hey, one last announcement. Um, uh, Christmas Eve is coming up. And if you didn't notice on some of the tables out there in the lobby as you were coming in, we've got these little invite cards that say a River City Christmas Eve. And on the back side, it's got a little information. These are not for you. Um, they're for you to the extent that you should pick up one or two or ten and hand them to your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and invite them to one of our two Christmas Eve services, uh, which will be on December 24th, of course, on Christmas Eve. Uh, one service at 4 o'clock and another one at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a great day of, of worshiping the birth of Christ together. It's going to be fun. We're going to sing a bunch of songs, and uh, we'll have some snacks and some food. And uh, I'm going to tell the Christmas story in a, in a pretty creative way. At least I hope that you think it's a pretty creative way. Um, sight and sound, it's going to be a great time. And so I'd love for us to just be able to, to pack the house for both of those services and have 800 to 1,000 people experience Christmas. And listen, they will come if you'll invite them. And so when you're exiting today, take a donut and take five of these cards with you and invite people uh, to Christmas Eve. Will you do that for me? Oh, that was enthusiastic. <laughs> Man, just may be me and you on Christmas Eve, honey. This will be good. Hey, this week we're in week two of an, uh, a series that we're in called God With Us. It's our Advent series in which we're taking a look at the prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, really from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is without a doubt one of the most compelling and powerful books of the entire Bible, written by a prophet that's one of the most, if not the, the most influential prophet in all of the Bible, a guy named Isaiah. And in terms of its significance, the book of Isaiah, it's an amazing book because in it we get the big picture of God's purposes for His people and for the world, and it's of significance to us right now during this Advent season because it bears witness to Jesus Christ. Some 700 years, 735 most scholars say, uh, Isaiah was writing, and he begins to write about the coming of Jesus. And so today we're going to take a look at his prophecy as recorded in Isaiah chapter 9. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament, kind of near the middle. It's a pretty big book. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. But before we get to the passage, I've got to set a little context. And this is kind of a recap of what Kevin taught last week. We, we were back in Texas with our kids last week, and so Kevin taught, and so Kevin, thank you so much uh, for teaching last Sunday. And this is kind of a recap of, of what he taught, just to kind of set the scene. So, so we go back 735 years before the birth of Jesus, and, and why, when Isaiah came, in the Middle East, there, there was a rising power of, of a country called Assyria. Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria. And there were a bunch of other little nations at the time in the Middle East, and they started to get nervous because Assyria was this rising power, and they were afraid 
that Assyria might attack them, and so they started to build an alliance among themselves, these other countries, just in case should Assyria decide to attack them. Well, the alliance countries wanted Jerusalem's king, which was a king named King Ahaz. They wanted him to join the alliance, but Ahaz didn't want to do it because he didn't really like these other kings. And so they threatened, these other little countries, they threatened to invade Jerusalem and kill King Ahaz and replace him with the king that would join the alliance. And so, of course, this makes King Ahaz a little nervous, throws him into a panic. While this is happening, the king of Assyria approaches King Ahaz and says, I tell you what, if you'll partner up with me, if you'll join with me, then I'll protect you from these other countries. And so King Ahaz is kind of caught right in the middle. He, he's, he's stuck. He doesn't really know what to do. And it's in this moment where God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz to deliver a message. And the message is this. It, Isaiah shows up and tells King Ahaz, God's telling me to tell you to not join either side, that God's big enough that he'll just protect you. So, so don't Don't make an alliance with the other countries. Don't make an alliance with Syria. God's big enough and bold enough to protect you. Well, King Ahaz was not a God-fearing man, and so he doesn't like this bit of information. It makes him too nervous. He doesn't trust God. He's not really believing in God during this time of his life. And Isaiah can kind of sense this on King Ahaz. And so Isaiah says to him, hey, don't worry. I will give you a sign. And King Ahaz, now you would think if, if somebody came to you and said, I will give you a sign from God, that that would be a relief to you. But King Ahaz, it's not a relief to him. In fact, he, he knows scripture well enough to know, like, if, if I get a sign like that from God, then I'm going to have to do what God says. And I don't really want to do what God says. And so he just sort of tells Isaiah, thanks, but no thanks. I prefer not to have a sign. And then Isaiah says, well, guess what? God sent me here to give you a sign. And so I'm under his direct orders. I'm going to give it to you anyway. And here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 7. This is what we looked at last week. In Isaiah chapter 7, he says, the sign's going to be this. That, that there's going to be a virgin and she'll conceive and she'll bear a son and his name's going to be called Emmanuel, which the translation of that means God with us. And so Isaiah gives him the sign anyway. And it's against this backdrop right here during King Ahaz's rule that Isaiah receives this wonderful, incredible promise of this child, Emmanuel, that's going to be born. And then two chapters later, in chapter 9, he begins to describe this Emmanuel in some pretty amazing terms. And so we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 9, just two verses, 6 and 7. And so you can follow along with me, read on your Bibles, or read on the screen. Here's verse 6. A couple of chapters later, Isaiah says, hey, in chapter 7, this Emmanuel, he's going to come, but let me describe him for you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in verse 7, he says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May God bless the reading 
of his word. One of the many important decisions confronting new parents, if you've ever been a parent, that this is what happens when you find out that you're pregnant, is you ask this question, what shall we call our baby? Like you spend many hours debating this often. What, what shall we call this baby? And, and the reason that we, we debate these kinds of things and, and we spend a lot of time going through this is because we realize that names matter, don't they? And so if we find out we're having a son, we go, well, who are we going to name him after? Maybe we'll name him after somebody in the family. Maybe we'll name him after his dad or we'll name him after his grandfather or his, his uncle or we'll, we'll name him after dad's you know, war buddy, military buddy or something like that. If it's a girl, I don't know why we, we really never name girls after their mothers, do we? It was here about that with sons, but not really ever with daughters. And so we, do we name her after a grandmother or an aunt? Or we name her after mom's best friend in college? Or do, do we just choose a name that's popular at the time? Or, or, or just one that just simply sounds good? Hey, I like that name. I like the way it rolls off the lips. That, that we... Choose baby names. We wrestle with this. My wife and I, we've done it twice. We've had two kids. And the first time, it was really kind of a breeze. We found out that we were pregnant with a daughter. And Wendy had read this book when she was in high school that had a character in the book named Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N, kind of the Irish spelling of the name. And the character in the book was this Irish redheaded young lady and redheads run in, in, in my wife's family, and I think she might have been convinced that our daughter was going to have red hair, and so maybe she was trying to be a prophetess and just like claim it, and so if we name her Caitlin, for sure she's going to have red hair. She does not have red hair, but her name's Caitlin, and that was a pretty easy slam dunk. In fact, when, when Wendy brought me the name, I was like, yeah, I like that. Like, we didn't even really debate it at all. We just chose it, and then we moved on. Two and a half years later, we find out we're pregnant, and this time it's going to be a boy. And I don't know why, but now all of a sudden, I cared. <laughs> and just hope my daughter doesn't listen to this online, because I love her dearly. Caitlin, if you listen to this online, I love you dearly. Um, yeah, all of a sudden, I cared. And Wendy and I could not come to an agreement on a name. In fact, we went round and round and round for months. And so anything that she would come up with, I just didn't think sounded manly enough. And then I'm like, his name should be Hank. You know, or like something, uh, he should be strong and, and whatever. And so we just couldn't come to an agreement. And, and then it, we were like, it was like the last week. Like she's going in to be induced. We know we're having this baby and we still don't have a name for this baby, and so she just kind of hands me a baby name book with a few highlighted in it. She goes, well, I can tolerate these. Pick one. <laughs> and so we named him Parker. You know, names are important, because once you pick out a name, you know, the child is, is really sort of stuck with it for a long, long time, and, and you always know those kids that don't like the name that they were given, because like, they go by their middle name. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I mean, that's my name, but I, I go by my middle name because I didn't really like the first name that my parents gave me. And, oh, they have to live with whatever parents decide. And ever so often, you'll run across somebody 
that has like multiple names. Like I don't, it doesn't happen a lot, but somebody that's got like a lot of names, something sort of like Charles Philip Arthur George Windsor. Now, if that sounds odd to you or maybe familiar to you, you should know that's Prince Charles. Wendy and I are in season three of The Crown. We've got two episodes left. Don't spoil it for us if you've watched it. But that's Prince Charles, right? And so you've got to know that he's royalty. And so because of that, he deserves a, a long name, needs a long name. And, and even before his birth, Jesus was a child with many names. And Isaiah tells us, about some of the wonderful names that we can expect with Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the babe lying in a manger. And so I want to look at each one of these four names because I believe these names unlock a certain aspect of his character and they teach us who he is and how he can help us today. And so there in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, he gives four names and the first of those is this, it's wonderful counselor. This child who is to come is going to be a a wonderful counselor. This phrase translated literally means a wonder of a counselor. The the word here, wonderful, we, we know what this is. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's astonishing. It's awesome. And counselor means a guide to help us with our problems. That's what it means in the original language. And I think it's interesting that these two words are put together, wonderful counselor. Because I don't know about you, but life is tough, isn't it? I mean, there's distractions, there's disasters, there's all kinds of details. And it's like God knew that you and I would need a wonderful counselor. In fact, I don't know if you've ever been to see a counselor. And let me just say this, I hope we're living in a day and age, especially within the church, where it's okay to go and see a counselor. You know, growing up in church, oftentimes I sort of felt like, even especially as a pastor, that it wouldn't be okay to go and see a counselor, that I have everything I need in Jesus. And while that's true, I've also found it to be extremely helpful to seek out counseling. And so if you're here today and you need a counselor, uh, please let us know. We'd be happy to help you find one in the community. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that regard. But I do want to tell you about Jesus being a counselor, because if you've never been to a counselor, one of the things that you're looking for in a counselor, you're looking for some very specific attributes that make someone a good counselor. And so when you're in need, you're looking for someone who is available. All right, if you're going to see a counselor and they're like, yeah, I can't get you in for like three more months, it's like, well, what good is that? Or I can only see you ever so often, and so we need someone who's available. We need someone who's going to give us their undivided attention when we're with them because they care. Someone who's able to provide a level of comfort while at the same time remaining confidential. Someone who can tell us the truth about ourselves and yet at the same time give us some strategies and and things that will help us change. And here's the wonder of Jesus as counselor is that he knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Like how certain you and I are, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm always pretty self-assured about who I am and what's going on in my life and what I can handle and what's going on with me. 
and that sort of thing. But how can we know ourselves? How can I know myself better than the one who created me? How can I know myself better than the one who knows everything? Like, again, I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered why you say and do the things you do? Or why you act sometimes the way you act or think the things that, just me? Okay, that's good. I need a counselor. I'm going to go right after the service today. Have you ever felt the frustration in that process of where you're like, I can't, why, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What is going on there? What, why did I react that way when someone said that to me? There must be something going on. And that, that frustration that you and I sense, I think, is a very healthy thing because that, that's how we know we don't know ourselves fully. But Jesus... He knows us fully because Jesus knows the real problems that are happening in our lives. He knows the real things that are going on, and he has the real solutions for the real problems, and that's what makes him a wonderful counselor. The second name that he talks about here, Isaiah gives to Emmanuel, God with us, is Mighty God. Mighty God. This is sort of like a God the, the hero is what this would mean in the original translation. We understand mighty as strong and, and brave. And then he, he adds the word God because he wants us to understand that Emmanuel is going to be deity. That, that not, not only is he the son of God, okay, but he's God the son. Are, are you tracking with me? Those are two different things. He's the son of God the Father, but he's also God the Son. He is deity. We see all kinds of mighty men in the Bible, especially when you look at the, the Old Testament. There was a guy named Joshua. He was known, Joshua was known to have what were called the mighty men of valor. That's a good title. I would like to be known as one of Joshua's mighty men of valor. Feels like some commercial, doesn't it? The mighty men of valor. There, there was a guy named Gideon. An angel shows up to Gideon one day and literally calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. We know that there was the mighty King David who when he was just a child slew Goliath with a slingshot. And then King David himself being this incredible warrior had a group of men around him called the mighty men. They were called David's mighty men. They were sort of like black ops, special forces. Seriously, when you read some of the feats of David's mighty men, it's just it's kind of like they did these military exercises, right? They were always surrounding David and keeping him safe. See, it's easy to look at heroes in the Bible and see them as mighty, but how about this child that comes in a manger? How often do we think of Jesus as being mighty. We don't a lot, do we? In fact, Jesus himself, when he grew up into adulthood, one time referred to himself as someone who was meek and lowly. But I think one of the greatest injustices is that you and I have forgotten that he was a very mighty man. In fact, when you read the Gospels, there's all kinds of instances where Jesus drove out demons from people who were possessed, men and women who were possessed. And, and here's what Jesus didn't do in those situations. He didn't stop and go, um, 
excuse me, demon, would you politely exit from this person? Thank you. That's not what he did. You know what he did? He drove those demons out with his might and with his power. There was a story one time where the disciples were on a boat with Jesus and there's a storm that's raging and Jesus is just kind of sleeping down in the bottom of the boat and the disciples are freaking out and they're panicking and so they go and wake Jesus up and they're like, help, help. I mean, it is crazy. We're going to die. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't like walk up and and just go, hey, storm, cut it out. Like meek and lowly. Do you know what he did? You know what the word that's used there in the Gospels, it says he rebuked the storm. He told that storm, stop it, because he's a mighty God. He turned tables over in the temple because he's mighty. He's a mighty God. And because of that, Jesus can handle anything. He is all-powerful. He healed the lame. He rose Lazarus from the grave. And therefore, listen, friends, he can do the impossible in your life as well because he is mighty. He can give you victory over whatever it is that you're going through, whatever crisis you might be experiencing in your life right now. He can heal that. He can solve that because he is all-powerful and mighty. The third term Isaiah tells us about Emmanuel here is he calls him everlasting father. Calls him the everlasting father. And all the names that are mentioned here that Isaiah attributes to Jesus in this passage, everlasting father is the one that kind of intrigues me the most because it's really the one that I understand the least. You know, everlasting, I think we understand that. That means infinite and forever. But then it's this term, Father. And that's not something that we normally attribute to Jesus, is it? When we think of Jesus, we we typically don't think of Him as the Father. We think of Jesus as the Son. And so, Isaiah is telling us that Father is not Jesus' role. That's not His role. Role, but it's more like a descriptive analogy that's pointing to the fatherly attributes that we can find in Christ. He is fatherly towards us. He is like a father. He has all the elements of a good father, someone who wants to provide, someone who wants to protect, someone who is compassionate and concerned and has integrity and is honorable. And in fact, Jesus said a few times, you won't see these scriptures on the screen, but in the Gospel of John, Jesus said a few times, He said, I and the Father are one. Just just to clear it up, I and the Father are one. Know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And then later on in John chapter 14, He's talking to a guy named Philip and He says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? And then he says to him, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? And so friends, this morning, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. You look at his life. Jesus is the perfect image 
of God in the exact representation of his being. And Jesus alone makes the Father known to you and to me. He's an everlasting Father. How comforting it is to read that his name shall be called everlasting Father. Because listen, once we become his child, once we become sons and daughters of Jesus, the scripture tells us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will be with us forever and nothing can separate us from his love because he's everlasting father. Now I've got two kids, I've already mentioned them to you, but, but I won't ever be their everlasting father. Someday I'll leave this earth, hopefully before they do. And I always hope that I'm a great father to them, but I'll never be their everlasting father. But Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, can be their everlasting father. And then finally, he calls Jesus Prince of Peace. He says this Emmanuel, who one day coming is going to be Prince of Peace. And so Prince is just kind of like this military term. It's part of a royalty. It speaks of Jesus's high position, the high position that he's going to have. And then it talks about peace. And the word peace speaks of his mission. One of the reasons that Jesus was sent here to earth. But there can be a little bit of confusion about this because if you're reading this and you're saying, well, Isaiah, you're prophesying that one day when Jesus comes 700 years from now, which by the way was 2,000 years ago for us, so you and I really have to go back 2,700 years when Isaiah is preaching this. And so Isaiah is prophesying, hey, when this Jesus guy comes, when Emmanuel comes 700 years from now, he's going to bring peace. And you look around and you go, where's the peace? Like, we're living in a time right now where there's as many wars going on around the globe as there's ever been. Where's this peace? You, you, you read in the paper every day, you look in the media, TV or social media, and right here in our own communities, not a day goes by in our country where someone doesn't lose their life on the streets. So you say, where's the peace? How is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that one day Jesus is coming again. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in the book of Matthew, that Jesus is coming again, and we call that the second advent, that one day Jesus will return to earth. And friends, I believe that when Jesus returns to earth a second time, he will bring peace. But I think what Isaiah is talking about here, when Jesus came the first time, he brought peace, but he did it in a way that you and I might not think. And it's this, is that Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. Do, do you get that? That Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. You know, the scripture tells us that you and I, because of our sin, we are separated from our heavenly Father. And Jesus, in the greatest peace treaty, greatest peace initiative that's ever been known in the world came and died on a cross for your sins and for mine, making then peace between us and our Heavenly Father so that we could spend eternity with Him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And it's through this act of dying 
for you and me that we can live peacefully with God forever. And so it's interesting to look at these names that 700 years before the birth of Jesus, they give us some insight into who the Savior is and what He came to do, but it's also important to ask four questions. And I think you probably know what those questions are, but here's the first one. It's this. Is is He your wonderful counselor? Is He your wonderful counselor? You see, sometimes when you and I go with have problems in our life, the very first thing that we do is we seek someone else out to just like get the burden off our chest or we need to confide in someone else. And can I just tell you this morning that Jesus is waiting for your problems. And that it might be wise the next time that you need some wise counsel that you seek Him first before seeking someone else out. He's a wonderful counselor. Spend time, take two or three days and just pour over God's word and and pray and pray to him and see if if that might not do the trick. And if it doesn't, then by all means, seek out other counseling. But you'll never know Jesus as a wonderful counselor until you take him up on it. The second thing is this, is he your mighty God? Is he just the meek and lowly Jesus? always pictured with little children and sheep and it's all really fun? Or do you believe that He has the power to do things in your life because He's mighty? That He will fight your battles on your behalf because He's the mighty God hero? Is He your mighty God? Is He your everlasting Father? You know, some of you grew up without a father. That was kind of part of my story for a while. And the term father just didn't always ring true with you. But can I just tell you that when I was 12 years old, I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, and he was the father that I'd been missing. He's an everlasting father. He loves you, wants to protect you, wants to provide for you. But he can't be your father until you make a decision to either be his son or his daughter. Until you take that step of faith and say, I want you to be. Jesus, I step into a relationship with you so that you can be my everlasting father. And so would you do that today? And last but not least, is he your prince of peace? Do you believe that he can bring some sort of order, restore some sort of semblance of peace in your somewhat other chaotic life that has just jettisoned the joy. Because He is the Prince of Peace. He comes and makes beautiful things out of the chaos. And as fun as it might have been and as interesting as it might have been this morning to take a look at these names of Jesus as proposed by Isaiah and prophesied by Isaiah, maybe the most important part this morning is the first part of the verse, which says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Friends, Jesus is a gift to you. Will you receive it? 
You see, I could come over to your house at, at Christmas Eve or maybe like on the 23rd and I could come and bring a present and I could place it underneath your tree and put a tag on it that says to you from me. And so you might take a, a step back and you might look at that and wonder what's in it and you might admire it from a distance. You might even, I don't know if you do this, pick it up and shake it. See if I can tell what's in there. But do you know what? It doesn't become your gift until you open it and receive it. So Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, He's your gift. Will you receive it? Will you receive the most beautiful gift? Have you done it? If not, why wouldn't you do that today? Why not receive this free gift of Jesus? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? We're going to continue to worship. The band's going to come back out and we'll spend some time in communion this morning. But if you're here today, and again, maybe you're just here this morning and you're kicking the tires of faith. Maybe you're just exploring the meaning of life or you're just investigating the claims of, of Jesus. We, we want you to know that you're welcome here. That we're glad that you're here today. But I would tell you that Jesus is the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And so if you're here today, I would just implore you not to try Jesus. You don't try Jesus. You either take Him and receive Him or reject Him. And so I, I would just tell you this morning, would you receive that free gift? Would you step into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and allow Him to become your Lord and Savior? He loves you so much, you get a choice in the matter. And so if you're here today, I would just encourage you to take that step. You can take that connection card. You can check a box on there and let us know, or you can come grab me or Kevin or one of our other pastors, Larry, Doug, Amanda, after the service. Let us know you're ready to receive that free gift, the free gift of salvation. It comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're already a Christ follower, I would, again, just encourage you today with these names of Jesus. Have you allowed him to be your mighty God, your wonderful counselor, your prince of peace? If not, just remind yourself today he wants to be those things for you. He is those things for you if you'll let him. So as we enter into a time of communion, this morning, we will come to the table and we'll take a little bit of the bread, this wafer. Here, and when we receive communion, this wafer, this cracker, this bread reminds us of the body of Jesus that was broken for us, that he died on the cross for us. We partake of the cup, this juice, which is a symbol of the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross. Blood that can forgive sins. Blood that makes a new covenant 
for you and I. And so as you approach the table this morning, would you just have on your heart and mind just to thank him for being all of these things to you, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Whenever you've had just a moment to reflect wherever you're seated, have an opportunity to maybe talk with God for a little bit. Whenever your heart, your mind, and your soul are ready, you come. You come to the table. There's some stations in the back and in the front. When you're ready, you come.